Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. Sometimes the law of unintended consequences kicks in with a vengeance. Take, for example, Washington's addiction of sanctioning countries around the world for short-term political gain. The unintended consequence is the weakening of the American greenback and American power. Crosstalking the U.S. dollar, I'm joined by my guest Rick Sterling in Walnut Creek. He is a journalist at Antiwar.com. In Winnipeg, we have Radhika Desai. She is a professor at the University of Manitoba. And here in Moscow, we have Ralph Niemeyer. He is chairman of the Council for Constitution and Sovereignty. All right, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Radhika, if I can go to you first in Winnipeg. Um, we hear a lot of stories. I talked about this a number of years ago, the end of dollar dominance. Now it's becoming a very common theme in financial media, political media even. What is the danger, um, what is the prospects for the U.S. dollar as more and more countries are trading in their own currencies? Go ahead in Winnipeg. I I think they're dimmer than ever. The dollar has always been very problematic. People, even its most ardent advocates, have always said it's not perfect, but it's the best system we've got, etc. So it's always had problems in serving the world reliably, stably, and neutrally. But today, the U.S. economy is weakening. Its financial systems contradictions are exploding all over, and its presence in world trade is diminishing. When all these are put together, then what you are getting is essentially uh, the rest of the world seeking and now finding alternatives to the dollar. This is the big change now, is that the rest of the world that has never been satisfied, and remember, for the overwhelming majority of the world, the, 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 the world majority, as I think Russians are increasingly calling it, um, the, one of the problems with the dollar system or the major problem has always been a massive undervaluation of their currencies vis-a-vis -vis the dollar. So the world has been selling the United States and the rich countries in general things at a far lower price than they should be getting. So for all these reasons, now that alternatives are available, now that the weaponization of the dollar system is so blatant, they yeah. are seeking and finding alternatives. Well, Rick, that's really the point. I mean, it's trust in this currency, a fiat currency. If it's used as a political weapon against real or imagined adversaries, uh, it diminishes its whole purpose as being a fiat currency here. And more and more of the world is waking up to that. And, and as the professor pointed out here, it's inherently unfair. Uh, it's a rigged system, and people have alternatives now, and this is what we're seeing. Go ahead, Rick, in Walnut Creek. Yes. Yeah, well, they they have created the uh, the alternatives because uh, countries have increasingly been been punished for relying on the dollar. So the the U.S. has given countries uh, the the strong motivation to move away from them. At the same time, we've seen the U.S. national debt exploding, where they could just print money at will and have it accepted around the world. And countries are seeing this as well. The uh, the national uh, debt of the U.S. is accelerating to over $1 trillion a year. And uh, many countries are looking at that and saying, well, uh, why can you do that? Why can you uh, uh, punish us by, uh, by effectively forcing us to use the dollar? So the U.S. itself has given countries uh, around the world the, the, the motive to move away from the U.S. dollar. 
Yeah, Ralph, essentially the same thing applies to the euro, because as the U.S. manages its economy and its interests around the world, it doesn't hesitate to punish Europe and, and, and damage the euro. I mean, it's really extraordinary. We talk about real and imagined adversaries. I thought Europe was America's friend. But no, the, the, uh, the Treasury Department will stab the euro in the back at, at a drop of a hat. Go ahead, Ralph. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And of course, you also have to to see that um, parts of it is owed to the financial crisis that was never solved in 2008, 2009. Yeah. It was only um, fresh debts that were created, yeah. trillions hanging over uh, us all. And this is, of course, collapsing now. So now people are questioning whether the dollar is at all a reserve currency any longer. And probably it won't be, because now the uh, virtual reality um, hits us all back. I mean, we see now that virtual currencies are on the rise, and this will be the new world order, and it will be a different new world order that they had been planning for in Davos or in Washington or California. So this is the new world order that I see happening here now with the BRICS, and I wish that Germany would be part of that, because we are talking about a real economy with production and resources underlying it. I, I, and want, not I want to get to that. I want to get to that in a, in a moment here. Radhika, I've asked a number of economists. I mean, it seems to me, and explain to me if I understand this correctly, as more and more people, countries, reject the US dollar for, as a means of trade, where do all these dollars go? Isn't there a tendency for them to start flowing back to the United States? Doesn't that create the possibility of hyperinflation? Will they be overwhelmed with all these dollars that they've been printing, a quantitative easing and all of that? It's good, it's good, it's good like a vacuum. It's going to go back to the U.S. because there's no one else that wants them. Is that a fair description? Um, yes, absolutely. So essentially, all the uh, the dollars that are, you know, the surfeit of dollars that are around the world, the rest of the world will be selling dollars and buying other currencies. So yes, the dollars will flow back into the United States, creating a surfeit of dollars. But there is one small qualification that one ought to make, which is the United States Federal Reserve has been essentially printing dollars in vast quantities for a long time, certainly since the 2008 financial crisis. But until the last year or two, this did not result in inflation. Why? For a very simple reason. The overwhelming majority of the trillions of dollars that have been created since 2008 have actually gone directly into financial institutions where they have gone into the black holes that are the balance sheets of these financial institutions. Hardly any of this money has actually filtered out into the pockets of the ordinary Joe and Jane in the United States, which means that this money printing is hardly really a, a, a cause of inflation. Inflation has been caused because all those conditions, which for the last three or four decades has kept inflation low, specifically the weakness of labor and the weakness of the world majority, the rest of the world, in terms of demanding higher prices for their commodities and for their products, these have been suppressed and now these can no longer be suppressed, which means that this itself, the, fact, the very development 
of the rest of the world is now posing a challenge to the United States dollar, and that challenge takes the form of inflation. Also, if I go to Rick in Walnut Creek, another issue parallel to all of this is that we all know that the with the advent of the conflict in Ukraine, um, uh, Russia's um, uh, central bank reserves were frozen. Uh, we had a few, a few years before that, Venezuela's gold was confiscated. I mean, the West was supposed to be an impartial um, uh, banker, you know, protecting all uh, assets around the world. Well, that is patently not true any longer. We've never seen these kind of asset um, um, seizures before. I don't know why any other country would want to put their money in the Bank of London, for example. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, you're exactly right, Peter. The UK and the US are the, the main culprits in this, where they have seized the assets of, uh, of countries such as Venezuela. Uh, the Citgo network of gas stations was seized by the United States. Uh, a national resource of the Venezuelan people was was just seized. More recently, we saw the uh, the Afghan national yeah. reserves that were in the UK stolen, uh, and uh, apparently some of the money is being given to uh, American victims of 9/11. Uh, so uh, how does that figure? People around the world are looking at that. Um, so, you know, that theft of uh, national uh, uh, currencies and national reserves, uh, supposedly the holdings were safe in the UK. It turned out to be they were totally not safe, as well as individuals, uh, Russian uh, investors and Russian uh, billionaires uh, thought their money was safe in the UK. They, they found out otherwise. Well, absolutely. And, Ralph, we have the European Union, at least members of the European Union, um, uh, speculating how they can seize, illegally seize, because there's no law for this right now, uh, individuals' assets and to um, uh, uh, pander them off onto others, presumably the elite in, in Kiev here. I mean, this is just a, um, uh, a wide array of Ill Ill uh, illegal activity, and all it does is undermine the f confidence people have in international financial institutions. Ralph. Yeah, and it is, uh, as you said before, the fiat currencies are, are at trouble and, and uh, at risk now because, well, of course, they've financed wars with that and did hyper-speculation, uh, hyper like high-yield trading programs and all that with that. Now, we have at the same time that the real purchasing power, the purchasing power parity, that is called, has increased for the first time ever. and. Uh, surpassed uh, the, the one of the G7 by the BRICS countries. So it's 30.1 percent, 30.5 percent towards 29 uh, percent or so of the BRICS that they have more share of the global GDP. Now, this is for the first time that uh, the BRICS are overtaking the G7, and that is the new reality people have to wake up to. So why go for fiat currencies any longer if they are not not providing the security that they used to. And, of course, if you mention the wars, yeah, well, they are financed by these, um, by these fiat currencies. So if you take that yeah. away, I think a lot of the funding goes away for wars. Yeah, but, but Ralph, you know, we were talking about sanctions and seizures of assets here. What the G7 countries will do in turn is sanction these countries that are going around the U.S. dollar and Western financial. I mean, it's a vicious circle. It goes around and around. Finish up for us before we go to the break, Ralph. 
Yeah, it is true, and that's what ruining is our country, Germany. Our industry is suffering heavily, and the population as well. Under sanctions, the U.S. make us impose and tell us not to have gas and oil from Russia. I mean, that is the most aggressive act towards Germany in the post-war history. Yeah, well, that shows you how much uh, Washington respects the sovereignty of other countries. I'm going to go to, we're going to go to a short break, and after that short break, we'll continue our discussion on the U.S. dollar. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaBelle. To remind you, we're discussing the U.S. dollar. Okay, let's go back to Winnipeg. Uh, Professor, uh, Ralph mentioned just briefly in the first part of the program about how other currencies are basing uh, the value of their currencies on products, on assets. Uh, and I think that's another reason why people are looking for alternatives, because the U.S. dollar is this kind of whimsical. We have a small group of people telling us what it's worth, what it might not be worth relative to this to that. But if it's backed by uh, assets, by uh, wheat and grain and oil and all these other things here, it has a real tangible meaning. And it's going back to some of the things you said earlier in the program about a real price value of, 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 of products around the world that are undermined by the U.S. dollar. So this is another reason why people are looking for alternatives to get true value out of their products. Go ahead. Yes, I mean, definitely currencies require confidence. And historically, backing a currency with a resource, usually gold, has been one way of inspiring confidence. However, let me say that currencies themselves are, are always fiat money. You know, you may choose to back them with a resource, but they are always fiat money. And the confidence can also come from other sources, including, for example, knowing that the currency is well managed, is not over or undervalued, etc., in relation to, go, uh, to key commodities, including gold, but also you mentioned wheat, oil, copper, what have you. So, if the value of the currency is kept credible, this is no different from backing it with resources. I mean, China, for example, doesn't need to back its yuan with resources if people believe that the Chinese economy and the value of the yuan is stable, the Chinese economy is large, et cetera, et cetera. So I think while it's a good uh, measure you can take if there is a perception of a lack of confidence in your currency, it's not strictly necessary. Confidence can come from many sources. That's a very good point here. It, Rick, it, it, it's a about how, how much confidence you have and how well it's managed, as the professor pointed out here. And I think there, there's a recklessness to the way the U.S. dollar has been managed. Because if, if, it's, if the purpose of your currency is to derive political aims, I mean, I, I pretty much want to stay away from that, particularly if I don't agree with those policies here. And, mm -hmm. and obviously, we, we see countries like uh, China and India and others, really emer uh, large emerging countries, Brazil, for example, uh, they're seeing how poorly the U.S. dollar being managed, and going back to some of the things that Ralph has to say, how about a, a basket of currencies? You, know, you kind of got to spread out your risk right there, and I think that's what smart money is doing. Rick and, and Wal yeah. Walnut Creek. Yeah, well, exactly. The BRICS uh, country uh, countries are, are looking at uh, creating a, a, a basket of, of currencies that, so that they can conduct all the trade among those uh, uh, major countries in. And if we look at the even the holdings of U.S. national securities, the biggest holder is Japan. Uh, in the last year, it reduced its holdings in U.S. national 
treasuries by 15 percent from $1.3 trillion to $1.1 trillion. The second biggest holder is China, which similarly reduced its holdings by 15 percent in the in the last year from one one uh, slightly over $1 trillion to $0.85 trillion. So uh, we can see that um, that's a that's a pretty clear indication that that countries are having waning confidence in the U.S. dollar and uh, seeking to reduce their holdings. At the same time, I think it's clear that China does not want to see the U.S. dollar crash. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. is still the largest trading partner with China, and they would see a lot of uh, negative consequences of a sudden crash of the U.S. dollar. But, uh, but um, we're seeing clear signs that many countries around the world, most countries around the world, are, are, uh, are seeing, the, uh, seeing the need to move away from the reliance on the U.S. dollar. Well, exactly, Ralph. We, 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 as I mentioned, we have China and Brazil. Uh, they've agreed, at least their companies have agreed, that they will trade in their own currencies. And probably one of the biggest stories of the year is that Saudi Arabia is, it won't exclusively sell its oil in dollars. I mean, I don't know if people in the Treasury Department are listening here. The petrodollar is, is really uh, the fulcrum that gave the West so much prosperity since the 1970s. Um, and you know, we see this uh, huge uh, direction, directional change uh, in, the, in the energy markets here. That is going to diminish American power. But what I worry about, Ralph, is that when they know this, is, this diminishing element is uh, facing them, it will make them more aggressive against those who don't want to trade. Essentially, they're going to force people to trade in dollars. That's a very dangerous environment. I think that's right, and we see the reasons for all the wars that the United States are engaged in at the moment, indirectly in Ukraine, but um, also they're preparing for war in Taiwan. Um, if you look at that, it looks like they are trying to claim their stakes the last time, as long as they still have that power, before the new world is uh, being constructed. And I think it will be much more a world of uh, sovereign nations like in Africa, a lot of nations are waking up. And of course, you mentioned BRICS earlier, which are already a superpower altogether. So we will see a change that is as radical as in 1989, 1990, about 33 years ago, when the Berlin Wall fell. No one had expected that to happen uh, a year before. So I think now, with the conflict in Ukraine being the catalyzing effect that we see the world through, we see that also it will come to a new world. Probably Mr. Macron, who recently went to China, who said that they should not, and France should not, and the European Union should not stand with, uh, with America in all aspects any longer. That is probably where most Europeans would, would become uh, furious, and they are waking up at the moment. Well, I mean, the whole premise of the European Union was uh, prosperity and security, and they're, they're getting less and less of both as uh, time goes on. Radhika, explain to me, I mean, what could—if the U.S. wanted to reverse this trend, is there anything it could do? No, I think this that's is a, a real yeah. Yeah, that's what that's I was expecting. Really, Go ahead. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because, you know, look at it this way. As you yourself pointed out, the weaponization of the U.S. dollar is boomeranging back on the United States. It's making the, it's not making the dollar stronger. It's making the dollar weaker. So consider this. What happens when the only weapons you have at hand 
actually have a counterproductive effect. It actually is like, you know, the only weapon you have when you're sitting on a far limb of a tree is a saw, and all that helps you to do is cut the limb on which you're sitting. Well, that's the situation the dollar is in. The United States, however, at the same time, will continue to use these weapons, counterproductive as they are, because you know what? They don't have a plan B. They don't have a plan B of saying, you know what? We should settle down to a multi-currency world. We should not try to impose the dollar on the world, etc. For the last century and more, they have tried to impose the dollar on the rest of the world. And the result is, is that this has never fully succeeded. And now it is receding more rapidly than ever. The United United States does not have any good weapons, but it is not going to stop trying. Well, I mean, Rick, if we had a multi-currency world, it would be far more competitive. Isn't that better for everyone? It looks like the West, particularly those that uh, worship the U.S. dollar, they abhor competition because if you're competitive, it, you get a better you, your production costs. You 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 uh, lower them. You have lower prices for your consumers here. But that's not what the dollar is for. The dollar is for foreign policy dreams of the people inside the beltway. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And the majority of the population in the United States is not benefiting from that policy. Uh, but I think there's a, a huge um, uh, lack of awareness or ignorance in the U.S. about, about these international goings-on and the, uh, the increasing uh, move away from the U.S. dollar. Uh, just, uh, you know, in the last days or the last uh, week or so, we've seen uh, we've seen the BRICS countries confirming that they're, you know, going to move away for uh, to a different uh, to a different tr trade in a different currency. Saudi Arabia is joining the uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. All of these trends are, are happening. And um, and and the U.S. population is uh, largely unaware of it and unaware of the of what of the the status of the U.S. Uh, dollar. They just just keep raising the the ceiling on the national debt uh, uh, without um, you know they don't like Redick. I was saying there does not seem to be a plan B. There there needs to be, and this should be part of the discussion. Uh, in the upcoming election in the in 2024, but so far we've heard uh, nothing of that. Yeah, uh, Ralph, it, it, these political elites in the West, all they want to do is kick the can down the road. It, it's somebody else's problem. I mean, not too many years ago, I can remember when the U.S. national debt was like nine trillion dollars, and, and that was a lot of money. And now. What, it's like $32 trillion, and that's probably underestimated at that, okay? I mean, there seems to be no political will to try to reverse this trend here, but then again, it wouldn't uh, generate any political dividends for the people in power. Go ahead, Ralph. Well, I think it, it only shows that and raises the question, which economic system do we want to live under? We have seen socialism in this country fail and in the Eastern European countries fail 33 years ago because the lies became too big. Socialism imploded, capitalism explodes. That's why I see the wars and all these debts that are being created, they are now raining down onto the goods markets. This will cause a lot of tragedies for everyone, also in the United States, but around the globe. So I think the question is, is there a third way possible and is that the new economic system we will see evolve from 
from these crises, and maybe this is for the next discussion that we should have, how would we see, uh, when we get out of the crises, after all these wars, how do we continue? And I think this question is, is more about the economy than about any military alliances. I think this well, is the next discussion I, I, that is up. I'm kind of an old-fashioned guy. I think the economy should be about the well-being of everyone, of people. It should be economy—and that's—we've lost that. We've lost that because sure. of, of politics, because of ideology, and the people are being left behind. And I, Radica has really, uh, pointed out the most important thing here. Let people in the Global South get true value for their work and their products. That's something the West has, will have to uh, will deal with, and it's going to be a harsh reality for all. That's all the time we have. I want to thank my guests in Walnut Creek, Winnipeg, and here in Moscow. And I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. Remember, Crosstalk Rules.